0: Hello, everyone, welcome to another episode of the 40 guard labs, intelligence podcast. It's a new year. But one thing is for sure, we will stick to the same co moderator for the whole year. And
1: uh, welcome to the podcast, Amar Lakhani. How have you been? And it's been a wonderful. I had a wonderful holiday season. I had a wonderful new year, and I am ready, ready to get back to work. I would say in 2023. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a very exciting year, especially in cyber. Definitely, you know,
0: if I would give 2023 a tagline, it would be something amongst exponential growth is suddenly feeling awfully expen- exponential, due to what we have seen on the technology side, not just uh, too long ago.
1: Wow, well, can you know what? I was going to ask you to repeat that. I'm not sure if you can, but I really like that tagline I really like that tagline. It's something better than uh than my tagline you know something like uh i I don't know like uh yes, I will have fries with that uh with that meal, you know <laughs> something like that, but uh I like your ta- tagline much better, much more uh complementary to cyber I would say. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm happy to hear that. You know, when we talk about exponential growth, it, it, we always wait for this hockey stick moment where everything goes just pretty much up to the uh, uh, up to the moon. So, and I feel we kind of reached that point in, in the la- latest part of 2022 with uh, OpenAI releasing GBT, which caused a lot of noise on the, the internet. People were using it for all kind of different use cases. But you and I, we focus. More or less about cybersecurity or security in general related topics when it comes to these new technologies, and we have seen adopting um, we have seen people adopting these kind of technologies for different purposes in cybersecurity. And maybe you can give us a little rundown about what what we have seen over the last couple of weeks regarding Chat GPT.
1: Yeah, you know, just, uh, Jonas, you want to take a, you know, a step back, right? I mean, I remember using, like, chatbots and, uh, uh, you, you know, like, uh, uh, I forgot, like, I think one was called Alfred and, like, some other ones, um, you know, back in the day where they were just, like, you, you know, kind of fun little things to kind of use, uh, you know, you could ask it some questions and... Pretty much after like five minutes, I kind of got bored bored with it, and I, I was really like, "Hey, this is never going to go anywhere." Um, you know, when my my impression of like, you know, I would say speech powered computing actually changed is um, like actually actually with uh the iPhone and Siri, like uh, you know, I can I can actually more easily like you know make an appointment on my calendar and uh, and actually invite someone to that calendar than I can like actually. Opening up like my calendar app, uh, and I think that's when I started seeing the world changing. So you know, I could open up the calendar app, I could type in the details, I could type in the date, the time, and invite someone to it. Or I could literally say like, you know, I'm not going to use the magic word, but you could use Apple's assistance or Amazon or whatever assistant you want, and you could say, hey, you know, create an appointment for me at 6 p.m. on January 16th uh, for my dentist and invite. Like uh, you know, my wife to that appointment or something like that. And when I did it all in one shot, I was like, "Hey, things are actually changing." This kind of started reminding me of like Star Trek. I really, I really loved Star Trek: The Next Generation when I was a little kid, uh, and it kind of reminded me, "Hey, we can really start talking to a computer that way and getting that kind of response." And those things obviously didn't progress as much as or as fast as I would like to see. But I think Chat GPT, and I don't know if Chat GPT is going to be the end system that does that but i think it's definitely an evolution in that step where you can start asking it things and instead of getting these pre-canned responses or pre-canned actions that you actually get some real type of intelligent action behind that. Right. It is, you know, uh, you know, made by open AI, it has a trove of information and you can start asking it things. And uh, you know, you know, last year, uh, as, as you know, uh, like we started seeing like people at least uh, theorizing or lo- looking at potential phishing attacks with that. And Jonas, I'm sure you've seen all those phishing attacks where the language is not that great. Imagine now if someone doesn't have to do that, right. If they can, you know, a non-native speaker can easily craft m- a much more real real sounding attack, right?
0: Yeah, you bring up a really good point that it makes everything sound much more professional. It more or less removes all the typos or even if you're not that comfortable with a certain language and grammar, it helps you out a a ton. Just uh, one example. Yesterday, I was writing an email not regarding a a phishing attack, of course, but I was going for some compensation regarding a service I was using, which was not available anymore. And I just told ChatGPT, please write a friendly email. This is the issue which I have. This is the compensation I was looking for. And I wasn't happy with the first draft. So I just added a few more comments like, please make it a little bit more friendly or please add this information to the email. And I just gave him small hints. And the email, which I was using in the end, was very well written. It was a friendly tone, but it, it was demanding enough. So I'll probably get what... What I want. And it's really interesting to see how sophisticated these tools have become. And I do think whenever we see technology being advancing that fast, a lot of people are getting very creative as well. Um, like in cybersecurity, for example, I know chat GPT tries to limit what people can do with it regarding malicious activities. But if you just start your introduction with, for example, imagine we are in fantasy land. Um, And you need to come up with a use case. So people, especially in cybersecurity, they always know how to evade security layers. And similarly with ChatGPT, people have figured out how to use it maliciously.
1: Yeah exactly i i do definitely um you know commend open ai for trying to put safeguards out there um you know they may be working well i haven't tried to like evade like a lot of those safeguards but um you know the cat is already out of the bag if yeah you you know we've seen at least uh, that it will be able to do things and i'm not, and once again i'm not just talking specifically about chat gpt i'm talking about the the technology behind that now once again you probably need a very large data sets like open ai has like as as the google's of the world do and other places as well so so you you know you know it's probably you know the barrier to entry is still still probably uh you know, you know, pretty pretty big, uh, as as well as the cost and stuff like that. But but at the same time, you know, we see the possibility that's out there. And um and and you're right. Like I like I said, I have used different languages. I re- I, I know I've used like uh you know you know I asked her to like write something in uh in French. I did it like a pretty good job. I actually asked one of my friends who's a French speaking native uh, speaker said, hey, this is like yeah, this is like perfect. This is good. This is exactly what I would expect. I actually had to write something in Hindi, which actually was like. Uh, You know, I asked one of my friends, said, hey, this is very good. Then I asked to write something in Urdu as well which is like the native language from pakistan and uh, my friend actually said hey this this is actually not quite right it's probably like 90 percent, but i would definitely if i got an email like this my my eyebrows will raise my my basically i would be alert i asked them why it's like they're like well it's like probably a little too formal in some places and there's one or two words i just don't seem to fit so uh, i was like okay well that makes sense so obviously um you know it has uh it you know, things to learn, right? It depends on the information that's being fed into it, probably how popular that information is. But at the same time, um, you know, the possibility is scary, endless, and exciting, right? And, uh, and of course, as you know, like, I I, you said you've been reading Raid forums. And uh, um, well, let's cut to the chase. What did you find on Raid forums with ChatGPT? So
0: I like how you brought up languages. And I was like, okay, he's going to talk about Python, about JavaScript, and all these kind of languages. But maybe uh, I'll start with them. But uh, so first of all, when I was looking at some of these underground forums, they have there have been threat actors posting some proof of concepts, um, where they show how they use chat GPT to use different kinds of languages like Python, JavaScript to create tools. And again, cybersecurity or offensive security is this double edged sword where you use same techniques for defensive, but also for offensive purposes. And it became pretty clear that ChatGPT GPT can make day to day operations much, much easier, because it decreases the amount of time you need to invest into learning something new, for example. So your efficiency increases while your skills don't need to be as sharp where they might have been uh, might have been needed uh, a few months or years ago. And it also is capable of learning based from previous research and recreate malware strings. So for example, there's a lot of research available for different kind of malwares from the last decade, for example. and these tools are now capable of recreating these malwares with different languages, converting into different languages, different kind using different libraries. And two POCs have been quite popular, which we have seen at the last couple of weeks, and one of them is written in Python, and it's pretty much an information stealer. So for those of you who don't know what an information stealer is, the main purpose is to search for sensitive files on your computer, where you type, for example, you're looking for passwords, usernames, credit card information, crypto wallets, and stuff like that. And this proof of concept was capable of exfiltrating common file types, like for example, PDFs, images, Word files, office documents, etc. And the second POC, which was a little bit more interesting, to me was because it was apparently a guy, at least allegedly, he's telling that um, by himself that he never really wrote a script before. And then he showed the first script he ever wrote. And another user pointed out, hey, this looked like you were using some tool assistant tool assistance to create that script because he saw some um, some code which is familiar to him. And he acknowledged, yeah, I used OpenAI, which created like uh, the vast majority of the work. And he created an encryptor. So not malicious in general, because he's just encrypting files. But if you look at ransomware, this is pretty much a key component of a ransomware tool. And when I was looking at his post history, because as you know, in forums, you can click on the username and you see what other forum posts he made, he was selling credential access to compromised companies. So you can definitely see how this guy allegedly is probably going to use these kind of scripts for malicious purposes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just from my personal experience, like I, I didn't mess around with it and I asked it, you know, I asked it to create a um, essentially um, a reverse shell. I mean, uh, I mean, a TCP reverse connection. Um, I forgot how I had to phrase it. So it didn't like trip up its alarms. And it was funny, like, because at first it actually, it actually wrote a very simple reverse shell in Python, uh, but it didn't give me the client side. And then I asked it again. And then it just basically uh, created a single Python script that like basically piped out the command line and did a netcat listener. Right. And I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And I, and I think that was actually the last one, but, and which, which I thought was interesting. And then, um, and then before that, it actually, it actually wrote a script that was actually pretty, a pretty complex script, much more complex than I, than I would have written it. And, um, and it was, uh, and, and I, wrote, I wrote it that way. And in all those cases, I don't think it ever wrote the client side. So you kind of have to put that together. And then I started saying things like, uh, write one over an encrypted channel. And I did that a few times. And it, at one point it brought in an encrypted library. At one point it was like doing some other awkward stuff. None of those would have actually worked. None of the scripts would have worked. Uh, but it did give me a good starting point if I didn't know. I, I would say I would, I would still have to know about programming and Python uh, even if, but but I think I could have gotten away with it if I if I didn't know anything about it, like if I didn't ever code it. But uh, but if I was familiar with the language, so. So it kind of shows you a little bit of that. Um, I've heard like people on forums saying, "Hey, it's completed my Java homework when I've asked for it, or something like that." Or, you know, from a high school standpoint, um, I'm not sure if it's good enough for that yet or not. But uh, but it may be good enough where you can do like you know, well, it does 90 percent of the work. So it's it's definitely getting there with enough um, w- with enough inputs. Like you can say, "Hey, base something based on this." You know, feed it some more inputs, feed it some descriptions, things of that nature. And and that really that's what was going on, right? With this malicious actor right he was like basically writing scripts based on other scripts and basically creating new tools based on older tools correct
0: exactly exactly and to me it's i'm not 100 sure where this will lead when it comes to the malicious cybercrime ecosystem how much they will use it in the future whether they will be some limitations from the defensive side to what degree they can use it but I I strongly believe it will have an impact over the next couple of months. And we have to monitor it quite closely and see where we'll end up on by, for example, the end of this year, whether people might also use it for defensive purposes. Because again, these tools are not malicious by design. And again, cybersecurity is this double-edged sword where you really use similar technologies or similar tools for the good and the bad. And I think it will be an interesting interesting to see how this plays out. What do you think how how the ecosystem evolves around tools like this in the next, let's say, 12 months?
1: So um... You, you know, before I answer that question, you know, just just to clarify, what this person ended up doing was he said he basically ended up writing this info stealer that scans, um, you know, documents on on your drive, uh, like PDF documents, uh, Word documents, Office doc, you know, you know, a number of documents, moves them to a temporary folder or copies them to a temporary folder and zips them up and then sends them over to an FTP site over the web. So, um, and, you know, and he's saying basically on these hacker forums that he had very little coding to no coding experience. Um, I I think something as simple as that probably is uh, easier to do. I still think you need. You, maybe you don't need development experience, but I think you need coding experience. If that makes sense, I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to be at least exposed to the language and do some basic things to probably kind of fill in some gaps, really little gaps to make that work. That's what I'm guessing what happened. Uh, but um, you know, to do anything more sophisticated, you know, you know, to encrypt the traffic, to uh, you know, get around like things like um, you know, firewalls and DLP and stuff like that, you're probably going to have to, you know, probably have a little more experience with that. Now, based on that just from what we've seen, right? I I think a couple of things are gonna happen. I think, first of all, I think ChatGPT in particular is probably gonna get very, very serious about cybersecurity and tools that it's gonna create. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of a holdback from uh, OpenAI, a little bit of more, uh, uh, I I would say, uh, uh, looking at what the queries with a little more critical eye uh, from them and uh, holding back stuff. So that's that's probably, I think, what we're gonna see in the short term. Uh, I I think in the short, short short term, we're going to see, like like, like you said, a lot of people using this in a lot of different creative ways that could potentially be used for something bad and maybe even be used in some attacks in the wild. Then we're going to see a little bit of pullback. But at that point, to cast out of the bag, and I think it's just a matter of time before someone takes uh, something very similar or similar data sets, and there's a lot of different tools like that. And I think by the end of 2023 or this time in 2024, we'll be like, Hey, remember when ChatGPT was the only one, and it looked like we had it under control? And now we got a wildfire that we can't even control. We got we got a forest on fire, and we got a bucket of water, basically. If that's an analogy, I can you allow me to use, man? I think that's where we're going to end up being, and uh, and then it's the next step, right? Then how do we how do we uh, basically lift ourselves up and fight that fire?
0: Yeah, interesting to see how this will play out. I'm curious to. To look back, it might be in a year or two, and look back at this podcast when we were at the kind of the beginning and see how how it plays out. But it's definitely something worth monitoring for the future for for both sides, good and bad, and use it hopefully for for more for the good than for the bad.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe maybe I should tell my uh, iPhone to do an alarm for next year this time so we can talk and review this podcast. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's
0: a good idea. But well, man, you just uh, you just reminded me of something. Uh, iPad, uh, Apple ecosystem. You you just texted me not too long ago. Um, you, you came across something interesting on the. And I, I'm aware we completely changed topics, uh, but uh, I think this is worth mentioning as well. You you mentioned you came across a, a malware for the Apple ecosystem. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I think it will be quite interesting for the audience as well.
1: Yeah, Jonas. So, like, you know, one of my hobbies is I'm always looking, you know, for the audience as well. I'm always kind of like trying to see different types of malware available on different systems. And as, um, you, you know, as a Mac user, or at least as a uh, as a Mac in my ecosystem, not an exclusive Mac user, but a, as as a Mac OS in my ecosystem, I'm always wondering, like, hey, you know, what what are the attack uh, you know, vectors out here? And I saw something pretty pretty interesting. It was basically an attack. Uh, and if I remember correctly, it was uh, it was actually based on on um drydex it was a uh, uh, you know the dry drydex uh, threat actor malware uh group that um you know what it did was it it infected Microsoft Word documents in the, in the, the on the Mac OS. It basically, scanned uh, to see what files existed on your system, and then it just added a macro. And it wasn't executing those macros. It wasn't like actually doing anything above user privileges. It wasn't actually even going out to the to the net. Uh, you, you know, just to enter the macros, just like manually putting those macros in. So nothing was really being triggered from a from a security standpoint. Uh, you know, from um, from a um, I forgot what the max, uh, uh you know, uh, security tool built into it is like basically the version of Defender, whatever is built into that OS, it wasn't really triggering anything and wasn't triggering like, hey, uh, you know, you need to authenticate. And that was like pretty interesting. Now, if you uh, if you actually did enable those macros, so you actually had to go in and, uh, you know, open the document and then enable the macro and then run that macro, if you actually ended up doing that you would probably be detected by uh, your malware, anti-malware systems. Um, it was a well-known malware. They were like, you know, ha- the hashes were known, but they were all EXEs, essentially. It was all malware that was affecting Windows files. So it would have affected the Mac user anyways, unless the Mac user actually distributed that, those Word documents. So I thought that was kind of an interesting approach. Um, you know, a couple of things that kind of like, kind of stood out to me was that I was using, uh, you know, the initial uh, malware, the, the, you know, patient zero of this malware on the step was uh, basically a Mac O uh, binary file. So it was, a, it was a Mac binary file. The Mac binary file basically ran commands to add ma, you know, the macros into the Word documents, scan for Word documents and add that. And then basically for the macro to do have any effect, it would have to have gone to a Windows system. And then at that point, it would probably would have still been caught even by Windows Defender at that point on a Windows machine because uh, these were all like known malware. I had ran them through virus hole and stuff. But I thought it was still a very, very interesting idea on like, you know, seeing how uh, Macs are being used to like maybe exploit other machines. And I started thinking, man, this is how we've seen like in the past, me and you have talked about plenty of systems we've investigated that are supposed to be air gapped systems. And how many times have we seen where they're not truly air gapped, or there's a UI machine or an admin machine that's like hooked up that you know has like more access than it should, or someone bringing in a USB stick to update things, um, where you have basically one operating system being used to uh, attack another operating system, a true definition of Trojan horse, if you want, <laughs> want to take it that way. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to, you know, kind of see a little more of this used in different ways, especially around OT systems and other systems that are supposed to be air-gapped. And at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised to see more of an evolution of Mac Malware. I think we don't talk about it enough, and I think uh, we're, we're going to we're going to talk about it more because, um, you know, the Mac is, uh, I would say, has reached that point that critical point where uh, it's become mainstream for a lot of industries and a lot of organizations
0: yeah i agree and i want to emphasize on the point you you mentioned systems are becoming more and more interconnected and pretty much everything is moving towards software so a lot of devices which haven't even had any software capabilities in the past are now running on software which is additionally even connected to the internet so being connected is, uh, is a beautiful thing for a lot of use cases, but it also brings certain kind of risks. And the specific topic you just mentioned about like with Tridex, we know this malware or its threat actor has been around since, if I'm not mistaken, the mid-2010s, like 2015, 2016. I remember some attacks, it has been super widespread, a lot of different countries, and they made millions in revenue uh, even back in these days. So. Who knows how much funding they have since then, with all their malicious activities, and it seems like they are exploring other attack vectors since the attack surface is getting bigger and bigger. And as you mentioned, uh, other operating systems are becoming a big part of the of the ecosystem which people are using these days. And while these systems are being connected, it they can be leveraged to move laterally through networks, probably much easier than if everything was a homogeneous system.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It will be uh, uh like I said, it will be interesting times in 2023.
0: Definitely. And I think also we will have some interesting podcasts coming up for this year where we will explore a little bit further of um of what we see around the globe. We have a quite a global team. We have people in all the different regions, so please everyone stay tuned for that. We will have interesting guests coming in the future, but Thanks, Samar, for kicking off the first podcast. Hey, hey, Jonas, I have and, to say,
1: I, can, I can't, I can't hold it back. I, I know we kind of uh, missed our special guest this uh, podcast, but next week we have a uh, we, or I mean, our next podcast we have uh, someone really special coming on with a very interesting background, and uh, uh, you know, so I would definitely encourage all the users to uh, tune in. I'm not going to say who it is, but. Uh, I will tell you it is James Bond, basically. That's who's coming. James Bond is coming to our podcast. No, I'm just joking, but uh, it's someone that has, uh, I would say, uh, a, a similar background. It reminds me a little bit of James Bond with his diverse background, but um, I'm excited. Uh, I think uh, I think things will work out well where we can, uh, you know, have him on our next podcast. And I uh, just uh, was uh, probably saving the world out today or something, so he couldn't make it today, but uh, but uh, uh, I, I, I had to give him a little teaser, Jonas. I hope that's okay.
0: Of course, of course. Thanks so much for being here, Mar. Thanks everyone for listening in and let's have a great twenty twenty three together. Thanks.